0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lord of the Dance City podcast, following my adventures on tour, letting you know where I'm coming on tour, letting you know how the gigs have gone, filling in some background stuff, telling you some stories and playing you some outtakes from the shows that have already gone ahead. Um, I'm currently in Glasgow, about to go down to play at the Glasgow stand, which has sold out. Hooray! Hooray! Uh, Stuart Lee's on at exactly the same time and he hasn't sold out. So, you know, who is the better comedian? That is my question to you. We went head-to-head. Uh, me 100% sales. Him, I don't know what percentage of his venue is sold, but there are still tickets available in the upper, upper, upper circle. And you might say, well, Rich, that's because he's in a 3,000-seat venue and you're in a 200-seat venue. But I would remind you of the parable of the widow's mite. It was more valuable, the woman giving one penny than million pounds wasn't it so that's the that is the same as that what we have now so (laughs) it's another one with no music or jingles because you know this is I've got a new computer and none of the stuff's on here but also let's just get on with it and do it shall we um given I've just edited this together to start with I'm just going to give you the bits uh from the shows that change every day where I talk about the town not being impressed for whatever reason here are all the bits from Reading through to Edinburgh. So I hope you enjoy this. One of them I'd forgotten to prepare anything at all. and see, Let's see how I got away with that. Over to the lovely edited package that I've put together. No, that's not impressive to you in, in Reading. I see that no, it takes more than that to impress us here in Reading, Richard. The, the film Cemetery Junction was set in Reading, Richard, so we... It wasn't filmed in Reading. It was set in Reading, but they didn't—they didn't film it here. But it was very much set here. We have two Waterstones branches here. We have two. It takes more than an old woman kissing a child to impress us. Well, I—I think it's impressive. No, does that not impress you, Didcot? That is not. That is not the kind of thing that impresses us here in Didcot, Richard. We are. We used to have some power stations nearby. They got blown up, but that was. I uh, think there's a, a railway museum or something here, and now I can't... To be honest, I usually uh, Google the town before I do this show. I forgot, I realised I, I was backstage, I'd forgotten to do it. So I've had to just completely ad-lib two facts about <laughs> Didcot, there, which I'm quite quite pleased with. I've been thinking all the way through the first part of the show, what do I know about Didcot? It turns out it was pretty much fuck all. Uh, is there, an inter- was there anyone born in Didcot, an interesting person? No. <laughs> Nobody at all has come from Didcot. That's fine. I... <laughs> no, that does not impress you, Maiden. I said, that's not... <laughs> not impressive to us. What, 200 years? Two... No, we're unimpressed. We're from Maidenhead, Richard. In July the 12th, 1901, we had the highest ever 60 minutes of rain. We had 92 millimetres of rain <laughs> here in Maidenhead. That is more impressive King Charles I saw his children for the last time in the Nat West on the high street. That is before he was executed. So we have more impressive things here in Maidenhead than you can ever dream of. No, is that not impressive to you, Winchester? No, No, it takes more than that to impress us here in Winchester, Richard. Kevin from Eggheads lives in Winchester. He, uh (laughs) So we're more, not impressed by your kissing. He often sits in Pizza Express on his own reading books of facts. That, we've all seen him in there. Uh, we have got 24 bollards that were painted by professional painters around the city. So it takes more, according to Wikipedia. Not so The audience didn't seem to recognise that one as much. The Kevin one was an observation of my own. That I saw him, I hope he still lives here. But, uh, yeah... No, that's not impressive. You hear in Bristol. No, that doesn't impress us here in Bristol, Richard. We are. We got much more impressive things have happened in Bristol. Humphrey Davy carried out his slightly rapey experiments with laughing gas in uh, in Bristol. We've got that. Uh, Bristol Rovers are currently top of the conference, so we are. We're more. We had. We had some uh, grommets around the country decorated in the town all different ones uh, Darren Brown went to university in Bristol Richard, so it takes more it's more than what you're saying to impress no does that not impress you Newcastle no no have not that doesn't impress us here in Newcastle, we've got more. Newcastle is not impressed by facts like that. New in the 18th century, Newcastle was the fourth largest uh, publishing pr- place in the whole country. After <laughs> So it takes more than that to impress us. Cardinal Basil Hume and Donna Eyre were born in Newcastle. So it, takes, it takes more an old woman kissing a child to town's drink, since it has been made, has had a caramel colour in it that is actually dangerous to your health, and we don't care, that is... No, there's nothing to impress you here in Edward no, that's doesn't impress us in Edinburgh, that takes more than 200 years to want two kisses to impress us, Richard, here in Edinburgh. Dolly the sheep was created near to Edinburgh, Richard, so we have got more impressive things than that. We have a small dog, a fictional dog that's out on a grave for 30 years, much longer than a dog could actually realistically live. And it, it never existed either, it's an entirely made-up story, but that is our proudest thing in the whole of it. That's what we've got got that so it takes more than an old woman kissing a child to impress us <laughs> so there'll be some more uh, updates on what happened at all those gigs later on in the podcast it's been a very enjoyable run i have to say i've had I've been having an awful lot of fun with this show this year enough people have been coming some places up some places down uh some places exactly the same a bit like the grand old duke of york without the allegations uh and uh you know it's been i've just i've been really enjoying it. it's been difficult being away from home uh, and my little baby but we may talk about that uh, but last week i i forgot to mention this last week podcast last week's podcast i did go to buckingham palace for a charity event uh, in in aid the motor neuron disease association which i have a limited association with myself but because uh, of the stuff i've done with scope someone asked me to come along to have dinner with princess anne which uh, was a strange experience. Greg Davies was there, which made it a lot more fun. We sat at the end of the table being naughty, but I met Princess Anne, who I think out of all the royals is uh, the one that I like the best. She seems to do some work for the... For the money she gets. Uh, she seems a bit no-nonsense. This uh, She was she was attempted to be kidnapped by a crazy person in the early 70s from the Mal. And this guy shot three or four policemen and guards and people who tried to help her be a rescuer. And she was... Uh, so I shouldn't laugh. They were all all right. They didn't die. Uh, and uh, she was sitting in the car and the kidnapper tried said, come with me, I'm kidnapping you for the NHS. Uh, and she said, not bloody likely, and refused to Come out of the car, which I think is pretty cool. If you so, if you're going to be kidnapped, just refuse to be kidnapped. Yeah. Uh, that is the Princess Anne way, and that worked for her, and she's still alive and kicking. I recognised her off the stamp that I had when I was a kid when she got married to Captain Mark Phillips. Um, there was a, I used to collect stamps then, so it was exciting to see her. And uh, I was there's a picture of me looking very obsequious and excited to meet her. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not really a royalist, but it was quite exciting to go to Buckingham Palace and have dinner there. Um, I may talk about it but this is a story that might well have made it into the show if I remembered to put it in. Um, it has been a Metro column in the past but this is uh, my first visit to Buckingham Palace uh, when I got it a little way in and uh, shouldn't have done it. I'll tell you the story. I moved to London in 1989 dreaming of becoming a writer. Within three months I was working on my first book. Well, I was helping to compile the West London phone book, but it still counts. At the time, I was sharing a house with the comedian Stuart Lee, and the phone bill was in his name. Brian Proudest Achievement was successfully changing his phone book entry to Stuart Wee. If only I'd been more daring, I could have made it poo-fart wee, but I was young and cautious and scared of dismissal. Once someone rang our house trying to sell orthopaedic mattresses and asked for Mr. Wee, Stuart listened patiently to their pitch before claiming he was incontinent and so had to have mattresses specially made for him. That cold caller no doubt dined out on the story of the time he rang up the bed-wetting Mr. Wee. Within six months, I was writing for another book, one that would actually be for sale in actual bookshops, the Royal Encyclopaedia Authorised Book of the Royal Family uh, by Macmillan. For research purposes, I was granted access to the library in Buckingham Palace. Security at royal palaces is obviously very tight and can usually only be broken by people dressed up as Osama bin Laden or blokes who fancy a late-night chat with the Queen. Even Prince Andrew can't walk around the garden without risking being shot, which was a reference to a story at the time. I needed a special pass. There's worse things that could have happened with Prince Andrew. let's face it bizarrely, to get accreditation to go into Bucking Palace, I had to go into Buckingham Palace on the day I would go through those famous gates. There was a meeting of world leaders, including the first and moderately less stupid President Bush, at the palace. I was ostentatiously using a large metal camera case as a briefcase, exactly the kind of thing in which a James Bond villain would hide a nuclear bomb. No one asked to look inside it. The woman at reception said I needed to go to the pass office, which was a different entrance on the other side of the building. What she didn't explain was I was meant to go back through the gates. First So I skirted the front of the palace, passing a guard holding a big gun with a bayonet on top. I gave him a nervous smile. He kept looking forwards and didn't ask me what I was doing or try to stab me with his pointy gun. I went through an archway into a courtyard. I was inside Buckingham Palace. I could have gone anywhere I wanted with my bomb and assassinated all of the major world leaders Mm. if only my case had contained explosive materials rather than a couple of pens and an A4 pad. I wish I'd taken the opportunity to look around and meet my favourite royals, but I was a bit worried about being killed and so retraced my steps and knocked on the guardroom window and asked where I was meant to be. I was pointed in the right direction by the guardsmen who laughed at my stupidity, though you might argue I should have been laughing at them for failing to prevent a presidential massacre. My break-in did not make it onto the news, as did the events of last week, where this was where... um the Prince Andrew story, making me possibly the only man to break in and out of Buckingham Palace undetected. Unfortunately for publishers Macmillan, the encyclopaedia came out in 1991, just as the royal family began self-destructing, it, self-destructing, making it immediately about as useful as, and one wee joke less funny than the 1990 West London phone book. So uh, that is a story of my first entry into Buckingham Palace. This time we went through that, gate, that gateway into the central courtyard and I was allowed to carry on. They took our phones off us. And uh, we had to put them in a little cloak room for phones because we weren't allowed to. It's quite good not... I mean, we'd just be taking photos all the time if you were there and recording stuff, I suppose. And it's quite nice to have dinner without any of those accoutrements. But um, I did have fun taking the mickey out of uh, Greg Davies. And uh, Stephen Hawking's was there from off of physics. And his son turned out to be a big fan of mine. So, uh, and liked my Metro column, actually. So I was showing off to Greg going, oh, he likes my Metro column. Do you know Greg Davies? He's in the some TV things, uh, and I was taking the mickey. It was most amusing. Uh, but anyway, that's that. So uh, let's have a look back <clears throat> excuse me, at the gigs I have done since the last time we spoke. I was in Reading. In fact, as we were recording the last uh, podcast, I was sitting backstage in Reading waiting to go on. I think that was a mistake. I was pretty tired. I had a couple of difficult nights with uh, Phoebe, my baby, uh, and, uh, and talking all this time just before the gig did tire me out a bit and I was a bit lethargic I don't think anything particularly interesting happened but in the second half I just start to feel really hot and slightly light-headed uh, and was sweating I don't think the audience picked up on it but I was sort of worried I was genuinely yeah. going to do a Tommy Cooper which is something I do discuss in the show and so if that happened people would just think I was joking around and then that would be it wouldn't it as it happens when when any comedian dies on stage they will think it's it's a joke. Uh, the next night I headed to Didcot, which is uh, was sold out, as was Reading, of course. But Reading is a very small venue. Uh, Didcot, a couple of hundred, 250 maybe. Always does pretty well. It's called The Cornerstone. Lovely, modernish theatre. People of Didcot seem to like to come out and see me. It's quite a mixed audience. Uh, and uh, we got there quite early again. So just before I went on stage, I did another little intro for you to describe my feelings. This one less... Uh, fly on the wall and more deliberate, but this, you'll be able to see what I was thinking before I went on stage in Didcot. So let's go over to that clip, please, Terry. Oh, sorry, I punched him in the face. He doesn't work for me anymore at the moment. I'm trying to get him back, but at the moment I have to do my own my own stuff. So I'm backstage at the Didcot Cornerstone. I'm in my dressing room. Uh, it's very echoey, and uh, just been brushing dandruff and various other bits of dirt off my suit shoulders as I prepare for tonight's gig. Uh, Last week's uh, accidental almost recording of myself backstage proved quite unpopular so I thought that I would emulate that by again giving you the sort of last few minute run up to the show. Uh, I've been left alone pretty much. I've been uh, playing Adam's family pinball, I've uh, d- tried to do the kukuru in the garden, Guardian, it's Friday, uh, I messed it up somehow, it seemed pretty easy and I messed it up, uh, I tried to write my blog and the car on the way here, quite tired from having a small baby in, in the house uh, and disturbing my sleep, though tonight's much better than last night, I was actually tired on stage and tired before the show, partly because I recorded the Lord of the Dance City podcast uh, immediately before the show. And wrecked it so, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, as probably that clip from last week makes clear, I don't really get nervous before a show. We got here quite early today, so it, it, I was actually quite surprised to find out we were this close to the show. I've once again come dressed in my suit already, which is a bad sign. I'm also wearing the brown suit, getting as much mileage out of that as I can. i wearing an old blue striped shirt, which shows a disrespect for the gig that I don't actually have. I I sort of do choose my shirts uh, and I choose my posher shirts for the gigs, I think are the bigger gigs or the gigs I'm more excited about. I don't know why I'm wearing my old rubbish shirt for Didcot, because I really like this gig. So we'll see how that goes. Um, But yes, I don't really get nervous for shows anymore. Uh, I don't really, you know, I can just, someone could just say you're on now and I could go on and I would be able to do it uh, pretty much in any circumstance I think now. things sometimes get a little heightened if I'm doing a massive gig, massive, usually charity gig, or playing somewhere out of my comfort zone, I can then sometimes get a little nervous. But uh, the thing that most perturbs me before a show, and it rarely does in during the show, is just getting my genitals perfectly aligned in my pants so they won't be uncomfortable. I, ha- I suffer from the misfortune of having extremely massive genitals, both penis and testicles. So uh, you have to get them just right. Uh, I'm just trying to do it now. Uh, I found, I used to wear uh, Calvin Klein kind of boxer shorts, but that gave too much leeway. So now I'm wearing diesel sort of more, they're more of a basket type of, they kind of clasp around your genitals and keep them reasonably safe. But before I go on stage, that's what I'm always doing. I'm always just fiddling around with my junk, trying to get in a position that won't be uncomfortable on stage, and it hardly ever is uncomfortable on stage, so I don't know why that bothers me so much. Um, I'm looking quite old as I look at myself in this mirror. I think that might be having a child, that's about four weeks and a couple of days into having a baby, and uh, it seems to be taking its toll. I look uh, a year older than I did, I think, at the start of this tour. I'm uh, still looking pretty sharp, I'm worrying about putting on weight, um, though I've been losing weight with the baby without trying, though it seems to be slightly, just as you get to this stage, you start eating a bit more to overcome the tiredness, uh, so you start eating a bit more fruit and, and then chocolate if you're not careful. Uh, for the last few gigs I've brought in my own meal, rather than I usually go to a service station and go to Waitrose or Marks and Spencers and get a sandwich or a salad. Uh, the last few gigs I've actually um, brought some dinner with me. I've, I've cooked, or that my mother-in-law cooked today's meal, which was sort of chilli with rice. Uh, I ate it cold, I realised there is a microwave in the green room. This is the kind of crazy adventures that happen here, backstage at gigs. Uh, so actually there's only two minutes to go to uh, the show. No one's come to get me yet, which suggests that maybe it's... Uh, not going to get up on time but we'll see uh, there's a Wi-Fi here at the cornerstone, but it just keeps on going on and off and changing and so it's quite frustrating so I'm on, I'm on Twitter apparently um, I've just been one of the answers on Eggheads my least favourite uh, of the quiz shows on TV uh, and uh, I was the wrong answer, it's who was the voice of Darth Maul, the correct answer was Peter Serafinovich, but me and Russell Howard were the other Possible answers. Uh, and I've seen Kevin from Eggheads in a Pizza Express in Winchester on his uh, dining alone, except for a large book of facts that he was learning. That uh, was quite a few years ago, eight or nine years ago now. And you know, but you have to put in that hard work as an egghead. And those long, lonely hours with books have paid dividends for Kevin. Because look at him now, he's on Eggheads, probably earning 200 to £250 pounds a day on that show. So, you know, the joke's on you, isn't it? And uh, it's CJ. You know, I've also seen him a couple of times in real life. Uh, written a few blogs about he... Uh, I saw him at a service station quite early on in his TV, lack of fame, and uh, he was really showing off in the service station with his, I imagine, a, a man who may have been his boyfriend. Um, they were sort of larking around and being in love, I think, but also just showing off that he was CJ from Eggheads. Uh, he also works... Does, he's also a humanist, so I see him every now and then humanist... Uh, events because I'm also a humanist Uh, and he also appears in pantomime so it's always fun to see his face staring out as the villain from a pantomime uh, in various different little uh, theatres but uh, right well I might make my way across now to the show because it is actually eight o'clock so that's the time the show's meant to start my penis is bothering me slightly I'm going to just adjust that but, you know, for what avail, it just it's always the same. Don't have any water backstage here, that's been a disaster. So I have to drink on stage. The Cornerstone... Uh, oh, did I put my phone on silent? That's an important... I'm um, recording you on my phone, uh, but I hadn't put it on silent. And, you know, there's a very good chance that someone might have rung me during the show. It happens. I'm always getting calls from my wife. Uh, here's Giles. You alright? Yes, I'm very good. Are we ready to go? Has yeah. That's Giles. He's a very important job. He was just lurking outside my... Uh, lurking outside, weren't you? Just listening to what I was saying. That's live. <laughs> it's the Tiny Dancer song, is is live. So the mic's live, so I've put that down so I can't hear it. It's the Tony Danza song again. And uh, I think it's sold out here in Didcot today. Just trying to sneak a look at the audience. Uh, it's uh, What is it, Friday night? I'm not going to whistle this time because I'm self-conscious. Last time that was that was just an accident. Uh, all the songs in the, in the pre tape are about dancing, but obviously it usually comes on about the same time every night, probably about quarter to 22. And uh, looks like we're going to start. Oh, we're starting. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Lord of the Dance Setting, it's Richard Herring. Fascinating glimpse into the 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 behind-the-scenes life of being a stand-up comedian. Um, There was some quite good fun stuff in in this show, Um, but a lot of it you need to uh, see in the show to get. I I kind of started extending stuff at the end of the day manager routine even further than it was being extended. I am probably going to break that quite soon. But I will play you just this little bit from the end of the half. I'm sort of trying to keep the beginnings and ends of the halves quite loose now, as as increasingly as I go. So I'm sort of messing around. Uh, so this gives you a little example of the sort of messing around I can do. Hope that it leads somewhere. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And you get a nice pretend little petulant strop at the end as, I, as I'm angry with Giles for not giving me water. But I wasn't really angry. Here we go. Uh, so uh, that's pretty much the uh, first half. Hmm. <laughs> I just have to drink a bit of water and then it's time. I could have done that off stage, really are thinking about, can I? but haven't got one backstage so I just thought I'll have a drink of water now Uh, and um, uh, go go and have a you know you can have a drink of water or anything you like or go and have a wee I'm not telling you what to do you've got 15 to 20 minutes of your own time you can do anything you want uh, within you can play Adam's family pinball that's what I'm going to do on my computer (laughs) Uh, so you know whatever you like there might be a pop quiz in the second half so check you've been paying attention I might ask is there an international men's day might be a trick question so watch it. <laughs> don't say there would never be one. I hope you've been listening. So um, uh, I might just stand here so that this awkwardness carries on a bit longer, <laughs> or I might just go. You've been lovely. I'll see you again in 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know water backstage. Oh, okay. No water. Not... I had to tell the audience in order to, you? to get you into action. <laughs> I brought one with me, but then I drank it. Oh, well, there's a couple in, the, in the fridge. Oh, there. Yeah. i would rather look. At them. All right? Yeah, yeah, no, they're fine. They're a bit quiet again, but, you know, they're all right. They'll get there. There, they're, they're picking up. Well, that's how I felt at the end of the first half of Didcot. I think it had been slightly weird because, as you'll have heard earlier, I did uh, was sort of struggling for the first ten minutes to think of something to say about Didcot. Uh, I did manage to come up with some facts that were more or less correct. Um, but then it was sort of fun in the interval to come up with some more uh, and so the second half started with a bit more fun. And it was a, it was a good gig. It's just like it's a theatre crowd. Here's the s- beginning of the second half. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back the amazing, Richard Herring. <laughs> I right. wouldn't say amazing, but, you know, it's... Uh... Nice, that guy. To say that, and that guy, the guy back there—I mean, he's in all—he sees all the shows. So that is—that is. That is uh, of course, Didcot used to be in Berkshire, but changed to be in Oxford <laughs> in 1975, as you're all aware. It's uh, well, I'm not according to Wikipedia. It's uh, twinned with Planegg in Germany. Someone tweet me to say William Bradbury. This might not be true. Someone tweet me to say William Bradbury was born here, and he was the first person. To cultivate watercress. Oh. <laughs> that is your most famous. That might not be true though, because I used to do a joke about cress, so. And that might be someone playing a trick on me. Uh, anyway, um... oh, they've left. I was going to do a callback to that kid there, but he's gone.
1: How oh, is he there? He's hiding. Ah, there
0: you go. I'll do a callback to you. You've, you've gone back a row in the, in the hope that I won't pick on you again. <laughs> was it because the Kentucky thing? There's a speaker. Back. Oh, is there? That? Okay, that's right. What... It's hurting your ears. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> was it hurting your ears, young person? Was it? Was it hurting a young person's ears? Fuck, well, that must have been loud. Uh, although it would hurt a young person's ears more, really, wouldn't it? But you don't realise, and then you go deaf, and then you're your dad. The next night I was in Winchester, which I'd forgotten I'd done a little intro to from backstage, so you get another chance to hear me discuss what the theatre means to me, uh, as well as to hear me tootling around backstage for a bit at the end. Um, Here we go. All right, I'm backstage at the Winchester Theatre Royal, a rather beautiful old 400-seater theatre. We've got, you know, over half full tonight. Might even be approaching 300 people, so uh, that's not too bad. Uh, I've already played Winchester once on this tour, so that's actually rather good. Um, So. Uh, It's an interesting uh, venue, because it's one of the first professional theatres I ever played. Back in 1988, the Oxford Review did a mini tour before going to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, in July 1988, and this was one of the venues we came to, and this was just an absolute delight. It was a point where the Oxford Review was very much on the slide, if it had ever been really up there. The Cambridge Footlights was a more famous example of a student review. Uh, The Oxford Review had produced people like Rowan Atkinson, not many other people more recently, Michael Palin, people like that from the past. Uh, but uh, we still had the cachet to sell out, the, the theatre also. In a way, I haven't been on the slide since 1988, and we had an amazing gig here, whereas most other places, hardly anyone came, or we did Glasgow, uh, the week the Piper Alpha disaster, happened, where the oil rig went up in flames, and lots of people were killed. Uh, and there we were, the Oxford Review, coming into the Glasgow, this hardest city in Scotland, uh, though afterwards, some of the uh, non-plussed audience uh, said to us, you should have done jokes about Paper Alpha, uh, in exactly that accent. So um, uh, I think that wouldn't have gone down very well. But uh, so this was, we got autographs, we signed autographs on the way out of this theatre in 1988. I can almost remember that a guy's name, I've seen him a few times, he's, he's an autograph hunter here in uh, Winchester. Rupert, I can't quite remember. Um, so it's kind of weird to come back here and realise that that's 27 years ago, is it? So uh, that's, uh, I suppose, quite impressive. I've been a semi-professional comedian for 27 years. If you include my student's show, that is 27 years of being on the road and coming to theatres, and here I am, full circle, coming back to the theatre to discuss one of the jokes that was in that year's show um, and the previous year's show. I did it both, uh, both shows. So it's first done in eighty seven. I think that Harold Puxer joke actually first, was first done in the Kings of Wessex school. Um, but then I did it at university as well. So yeah, so it's fun to be back and the show starts in one minute's time. So I'm going to go onto the stage now. I feel like I need a wee, but seeing you're listening, I think I'll wait for the interval. I'll just turn up when it's the time. It's 35 seconds to go. Here and ready when you are. Let me just check I put my phone on silence. Mm-hmm. <whistles> Different music, can Got further into the track. Do 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 dancing all around. I am the Dancing Queen. All this very theme to the show it's very... All the tracks are about dancing. <coughs> Gonna release uh, me whistling along to hits as an LP that anyone can join, anyone can buy on iTunes. It's a secret door in the curtain. I us have a look through, some of the audience may have seen me. Uh, so it's a beautiful theatre with two, with an upper level and stalls. The stalls is pretty much full. There's a few people uh, on the balcony. Funny to think this is actually about the same size as the Leicester Square Theatre, which seems a sort of smaller theatre than this. It's, uh, uh, Leicester Square Theatre is very wide. but It's a good size, 400 seats. There aren't many really 400-seater theatres. That would be my ideal, really, to tour everywhere to a 400 seat. It would be more ideal if all of the seats were sold, but selling 200... I think 260 we'd sold before walk up, so that's a pretty good night in terms of the tour. Um, or oh, certainly good enough. If everywhere was 260, that would be fine. I think we're about to start. Bubba, dubba, bubba, cream. No, we're not about to start. I'm going to do my shoelace up. Charles is excited. He's got talk back there. He can talk to the people up in the lighting box. It's like he's got a friend, which is nice. I don't talk to him on the tour. He's just, he's sort of my servant. It's like a butler. He's now discussing the fact that I am commentating on my own gig with uh, the guy doing the lights. <laughs> I hope he's making a podcast of his commentary that can go out in tandem with this one. Mm, mm, mm. <whistles> wonder what the next song will be. Well, the audience have all gone quiet. I think the show's starting. Maybe it is no one tells me anything it's not starting, there's another song coming in dance bitch yep let's do it mum 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 Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the lord of the dance City, it's Richard Herring! Thank you very much! Hello, Winchester! Oh, lovely. It's lovely to be back at the uh, Theatre Royal, which is one of the first theatres I ever played. I first played this theatre in 1988. It's 27 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's terribly tragic. I was very, very young though. I was two years old. I, I toured a show. I was two years old, and I, <laughs> when I did that, but it was fantastic. It was, it was sold out then. So that the, my, it started at a high, end. but there we go. Uh, Father Christmas is in the front row as well. So it's all good. It's all good news. We're going to have a great show. It's down time. it's downtime. It's downtime. He likes to come out and see some comedy, uh, so when he's not so busy, welcome to the show. I'm sorry for messing around at the start; that was very unprofessional. Uh, the Father Christmas guy was, of course, just a man with a white beard, but he did m- meet me after the show. His daughter wanted a photo of us together, though he he wouldn't let me sit on his knee. I did look very excited at uh, meeting him. Uh, and funnily enough, Rupert, it was he was called Rupert, as I correctly remembered, he was sitting in the front row, uh, and he a much. Younger the man than Father Christmas, but still uh, someone who's been there for 27 years. My longest serving fan, if we can call him that. I don't think he was a particular fan of mine. He's a kind of autograph hunter as much as anything to begin with. But uh, I have seen him at a couple of the other shows in Winchester. So that's quite, quite nice that there was a, a link there between those two. The next day was Mothering Sunday. When will there be a Children's Day, though? That's my question. When will there be a Father's Day? Won't happen, will it? It It'll never happen because the political correctness has gone mad. And I was in Bristol, uh, back at the Tobacco Factory, which I haven't been to for a couple of years, but it's one of my favourite venues to play with a really terrific audience. We filmed uh, Headmaster's Son there, I believe. Um, And a few funny little things happened, but there was an amusing heckle that came in uh, which I'll play you. There's a bit of a spoiler here because I'm going to play in the bit that comes before the heckle because I think it helps to make it sense, make sense. So if you don't want to spoil a little tiny bit of the show, then don't listen to the rest of this podcast. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think it'll spoil enjoyment too much. This is what happened during the dance routine. As you are spotted, if you're clever, the theme of this show is dance. That is what that is the theme running through all of these. Sometimes it's a metaphor for life. Sometimes it's about movement and inertia. Uh, Sometimes it's literally dance. As in this part of the show, I'm not a big fan of dancing. I don't like doing it, unless I'm really drunk. I certainly do not enjoy watching other people dance. I can't in some way anyone gets any pleasure to pay to go and watch an adult dancing. That seems a very weird activity uh, to me. I'd, I'd say it's the worst medium for artistic expression, just moving around in a rhythmical way. I mean, how am I meant to interpret that? If you've, got, if you've got something to tell me, just say it with words. We've developed language now, so just tell me. Don't move around and expect me to interpret those movements like some kind of semaphore that only you have the code for. I'm not... I'm not going to offend any professional dancers in the audience, but you're wasting your own time and everyone else's. <laughs> Grow up! What you're doing is genuinely pathetic. <laughs> and look who it is who's saying that to you. It's what? what about if you're a dancer and an usher? Well, if you're a dancer and an usher, well, you're holding the buckets at the end, so you're all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, good. I've been heckled by the staff of the theatre. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, what honestly say, if you're a dancer and an usher, you're probably not that good a dancer. So. um... <laughs> Me a little while, but I got there. So, um, been <laughs> better. I mean, imagine when I edit this together, I take this, I'm going to edit that, and I'm going to put that straight away. It's going to take the bit where I was thinking about what I was going to say. I'm going to bang, straight in, and uh, then I'll get te- I'll tear my- tearing my air pretty. I'll my producer, producer, I punched him last week, so he's uh, <laughs> I have to do my own, I have to do my own uh, editing now. It's changed everything. I can't remember what I say. So, the Bristol gig was a lot of fun, um, and uh. There was a few callbacks to that sort of stuff. Uh, the uh, the Usher thing, who I met afterwards and gave a free copy of my book too for being such a good sport. Uh, it was very enjoyable. Um, also, during this show, I decided that I, this would be the last time I did one of the routines, uh, the one about the man saying, look at the arse on that. Just partly because the second half feels to flow better without it. It's uh, also everything stretching out and getting a bit longer this seemed to fit fit into the Edinburgh show better than it does into the tour in a way. Uh, I realise a lot of the routines are about uh, the child and the the adult within me competing and sometimes the routines are me as a child fighting an adult. Sometimes it's me as an adult in trouble with a child. Sometimes it's just within uh, internally the child and adult within me fighting each other. And I suppose there's an element of this, that there's a kind of wistfulness to this routine uh, and uh, it's about like the Harold Pucks routine, it's about a man looking back at his life, I suppose that is how I interpret it in the end. But it felt like we have enough ranting routines and enough routines that are a little bit wistful and maybe this one is sort of surplus to requirements. So I'm going to put it in the podcast. Now if you're gonna come and see the show uh when I do the D V D record, I might very well reinstate it for that show. Just so it's it's on film. So uh d- maybe don't listen to the next bit if you're gonna to come to the DVD record, but I might just this routine might be gone from the show for good. But I hope you enjoy it. It's nice to have it down on tape so that it's still there in case it doesn't make it back into the show. This is a routine about a man, a true story about a man telling me to look at the ass on a woman. I've just we've just passed. I do like walking around this show. If you're clever, it's all about movement and inertia, and you'll have spotted that. But it's. Uh... <laughs> I was out in the uh, Shepherd's Bush where I live in the summer, enjoying the sunshine, when I encountered a man in his fifties with a countenance that suggested he might enjoy a drink. His unsteady gait suggested he might have enjoyed a drink that morning. He deliberately caught my eye, that doesn't happen in London as I explained, and he pointed at something behind me, thankfully not directly behind me, before wistfully observing, I haven't seen an ass like that in years. He smiled a knowing and naughty smile. Now, I assumed you was talking about the arse of a woman who'd literally just walked past us. Now, I think I've made clear in the rest of the show, I'm a feminist. I'm an actual feminist. I'm a real one. I always have been. I'm not just pretending to be a feminist this year in the hope of winning a comedy award. I'm an actual feminist. <laughs> I'm not condoning what that man said. That was a disgusting. a thing to say to anyone. But I have to tell you what it is for the jokes to work. But I'm, I'm, I'm disapproving of what that man said. On the other hand, he didn't look like he'd seen an awful lot of asses in his life. And he still felt this one was so extraordinary. It was worth stopping a complete stranger to make him turn and have a look. I have to say, my curiosity was piqued. It was, it was difficult not to look with that kind of information in my head. And then I thought, hold on, who says this guy's enjoying the arse in a sexual way, that's an assumption I have made. Maybe I'm being sexist. This he could be enjoying that arse in a million different ways. What if it's, what if it's juggling fire? Or <laughs> shooting darts at a dartboard? Or playing some kind of anal flute? <laughs> I thought I should turn around and have a look at the arse. Just out of scientific curiosity, I want to make it very clear. I do not approve of surreptitiously checking out the asses of women or men. It is something I would never, ever do. I'd say after all the hype, I was a bit disappointed in the arse. There was, there was nothing extraordinary about it at all. It was maybe a little bit larger than the average arse. I'm guessing, because as I just said, I never look at other people's asses, so I wouldn't have anything to compare that to. Except for my own ass, which I sometimes look like like that, in the bathroom mirror, just as a control, just in case anyone comes up to me and says, Rich, please, with my permission, will you have a look at my ass? just let me know if you think that's bigger or smaller than average. I can say, well, using my own ass as the mean, I can help you. <laughs> this arse was the kind of ass I would say you could see 40, 40 times a day if you spent four hours wandering around West London surreptitiously checking out the asses of strangers which I don't do, as I explain. I, I don't then compare the asses to other asses I've seen that week and compile a list of the top ten asses I've seen that month and then go home and draw them in a notebook that I've entitled Arses I Have Observed, Compared and Contrasted, which I've decorated little pictures of asses I've cut out of naughty magazines, stuck on the cover with sellotape. Anyone who said I do do that and they've seen that notebook in my bedside cabinet is a liar, it's not there. You come back to my house after the show. I'm not trying to pick you up, you're just the captain of the audience. You come up to my bedroom, you have a little good route around the bedside cabinet You won't find actually... Uh, thinking about I left the bedroom in a bit of a mess uh, so if you could just wait downstairs uh, in the kitchen I'll pop up throw away all the pants and stuff then you come on them up and have a look in, you look at it you won't find the notebook I can tell you that now because it doesn't exist that's why I'm so sure you mustn't look in the laundry basket I bet that old man has a notebook like that what a pervert and yeah he conversely claims that he hasn't seen an ass like that in years what's going on it doesn't make sense I can only presume that man has been chained to a radiator in a basement for three decades or maybe just regained his sight after a long period of blindness. It just so happened that arse was the first thing to drift into his field of vision. Because, oh, I haven't seen an arse like that in years. Or anything at all in years. I mean, that... That was an odd way to phrase that, now I think about it, wasn't it? But to be honest, I was so surprised about the miraculous regaining of my sight after all this time. Forgive me if I spoke inelegantly. It certainly wasn't worth wasting the time of a complete stranger to make him stop his busy day of innocently wandering around to turn and look at an ass, which, although maybe unusually pertinent and drooping for an ass of that size, would only appear as a footnote in any serious work comparing people's asses to other people's asses. <laughs> but maybe that's why we should admire this man after all. Uninfluenced by media images of perfect body shapes, he saw wonder in the ordinary. Was he a sex pest? Or was he a postmodern feminist? Trying to make me reconsider society's narrow, defined, and bogus ideals of feminine beauty. To be honest, even if he was a sex pest, the arse had made him so happy. It was hard to begrudge him. She hadn't even seen him look. He wasn't a victim to this crime. I wondered if that man had once fallen in love with a woman with an identical arse to that one, whether they'd drunk together in the summer sunshine and made love, but then their love had died. And now, decades on, drinking alone, he sees an arse that reminds him of the arse he once knew. It doesn't make him weep, it makes him smile. He can't recapture what has gone But he has his memories of an ordinary ass that was extraordinary to him. Didn't think it was going that way when it started, did you? So that is... Well, this has been a super long podcast, so I'm going to leave it there. I have to go and do my gig in Glasgow in any case. Uh, And uh, so there's still some stuff to catch up on uh, from Newcastle and Edinburgh, which was a terrifically fun gig. So there's some fun outtakes to be had from that one uh, but I will leave you with that except to say that I have uh, gigs coming up uh, in the next few days uh, for if you're listening to this as around the time I've recorded it uh, go to richchain.com gigs to find out if I'm gigging near you at any point or richchain.com slash lotds tour if you want to find out specifically about the Lord of the Dance Seti tour I'm in Chesterfield on the 20th of March at the Winding Wheel there's still some tickets there. Norwich on the 21st of March, that is sold out, but do check with the venue for returns. Birmingham on the 22nd of March. From now, that's a room that in the past I have sold out, and it's, uh, it wasn't so great last year, down a little bit. I mean, it's kind of still a t- city I do well in, but it was. it's a 400 seat room that I have once sold out, and now it's more like 300 people come to see me there. So, if you're in Birmingham, please come and see me on the 22nd of March at the Birmingham Glee. Uh, 25th of March, I'm in South End. South End Palace Theatre, again, that one's, you know, I never sell many tickets there. Uh, 26th of March, I'm in Oldershot, which has sold out. 27th of March, I'm in Cambridge, which uh, has only a few tickets left. So book ahead for the Cambridge Junction. 28th of March, Shoreham by Sea. I think that might have sold out, weirdly, uh, even though Car- it's near Brighton and Brighton didn't do that well. Uh, and the 31st of March, I'm in Cardiff. 2nd of April in Bath. I will let you know about future dates. Uh, after that one but thank you for listening sorry that was quite long quite a long podcast Uh, and uh, full of interesting stuff though I hope I hope you're enjoying this little glimpse of what it's like to be on the road and to find out the things that go wrong and the things that go right and um, I'll be back next week with some more including some fun in Edinburgh with when I can tell you what it's going to be about minty uh, shower gel and losing my trousers it was a very entertaining little jaunt up to the the north of England and to Scotland. So uh, we'll be back with that next time. Thanks for listening. Do check out warming warming up podcast. Do check out the British Chinese Meaning of Life. The episode six has just gone up uh, of that, uh, which will be on the British Comedy Guide as an audio, or it's on my YouTube channel, Harry One Nine Six Seven. Uh, if you want to watch the video of it, or you can pay for a longer version of it, or you can just buy a badge if you enjoy these podcasts at gofastestripe.com slash badges. That will help me to pay to make more internet content. That's what all that money will go towards. If you've enjoyed these shows and you think other people might like them too, this one's a bit esoteric and uh, for comedy fans, I would imagine. But if you um, think your friends might enjoy them, please tell your friends about them. That would be a great thing. I uh, hope to see you on the tour. Come say hello and uh, do a selfie to the show if you like uh, and i will see you at one of the gigs see you next time on lord of the dance Tea podcast wherever you may be i haven't got the music here that's gonna be on the lp bye